Hey, let's, um, let's start this thing off with prayer and asking God's blessing on this morning. Father, um, as I've confessed to our group this morning, I had a, a week of distance from you where I just didn't feel intimate with you this week. And then on top of that, I had times of battling a lackadaisical personality, laziness, And it was a struggle for me to, to muster up strength. And I think that that was part of my problem, Lord, is that I was mustering up my own strength and not being dependent on yours. And I say that freely because everyone in this room understands that feeling. That feeling of distance from you. That feeling of not necessarily even committing something egregious sinfully, but just not having a desire to be close to you sometimes. And I, I had that this week and this morning as I was on my knees in my home, I, I prayed for these people and I prayed for me that your spirit would, would descend on us. And then this morning, Lord, you led us in prayer together at nine o'clock and you led a small group of of ladies to the corner to pray even further for us, that your spirit would descend on us, that we would feel your presence this morning. And Lord, I don't, I'm ready to feel your presence. I'm grateful for you being kind to a sinner like us and sinners like, like me. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who had a week like mine, that you would answer our prayer of your presence this morning. That through the singing of your word, we felt you near. That we didn't have to muster up anything, Lord. If, if we were going to get close to you, it takes you to take hold of us and draw us near. Because our flesh is just, there's no strength in it to do such things. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning would be a continuation of you drawing us near. That the word of truth would lay bare on the souls of the people. And that they would feel your presence evermore. Lord God, be glorified this morning because you are worthy. You are so worthy of our praise. I know we know it cognitively. But would it be true not only to our minds, but in our hearts. Would you rule and reign as our king? Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, amen. Again, my name is Kanan Parker. Uh, so good to be back up here. Um, I want to start by causing, calling us to do a bit of self-reflection. And the reason why I want us to do some self-reflection is because our weeks go by so rapidly, so quickly, that we very seldom take the time to pause and to think. And if you're anything like me, then that's true for you, because I know it's true for me, so it's probably true for y'all too, that our weeks go by so fast that we don't stop and we don't think, and we don't necessarily stop and think about important questions about ourselves. 
Questions like, what is it that makes you tick? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what drives the motives of your heart? What is it that makes you tick? Why is it that you get up every morning to go to work or go to school beyond just getting a paycheck or graduating? Like, what is it that if you didn't have to go to work and you didn't have to go to school, what is it that makes you, you tick? Or how about these questions? Why do you think you act the way you act? Many of us don't realize this, but we have been formed by things that have been said and happened to us from youth. What's that thing that happened to you when you were a child that causes you to be the way you are today? What most of us do is we, 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 we don't think about those events. But what is it that happened to you as a child that causes you to be the way you are today? What adult terrified you in such a way that it causes you to clam up in certain situations now? Some of you ladies out there, what did your father say to you? that makes you work so hard or makes you give up. In today's day and age, it's appropriate to ask this. What is our culture saying to us that's forcing us to capitulate unto it that we would be accepted by it? Have you ever taken the time to consider what is it that makes you tick? Have you ever considered what influences you, what influences of your past cause you to act and think and behave the way you do now, I have things that happened to me in my past that have caused me to be the man that I am, for better or for worse. I'll share some with you now. I strive for an intellectual superiority at all times. But you know why I do? Because I was called stupid as a child. I was the dumb kid in class. I have a proclivity to want to prove people wrong when they say I can't do something or I can't have something. And the reason why I do that is because I don't want people to think that they know me, my capabilities, or my limits. I don't want people to even get close to me. I don't want them to know me. And so when someone says, man, you think, just them questioning me gives me fire to want to do it because I'm scared that if you know me too well, you're going to be able to see the flaws within me. And I don't want you to see any flaws in me, so I'm going to over and exceed whatever it is you said I couldn't do. Those who grew up around me used to say, yo, K, they were like, yo, K, you a mystery. Like, they knew me in terms of the present, but they didn't know anything about me. My boys used to always say that, like, yo, K, who are you? And I didn't know it, because it wasn't intentional, but subliminally, I kept people at arm's length from me. Because being known is scary. Is it not? Is, am I lying? I, yo, being known is a scary thing. When you're trusting somebody with your innermost parts, your heart, that's scary. And so I'm scared of that. Even now, I'm still scared of that. I know if, if I keep you at arm's length, you can't hurt me. That's just real. That's just Canaan. Okay? And I know it's y'all too. It's me, it's you. I got commitment issues because I'm a millennial. You know, as millennials, we don't know how to commit to nothing. But it's not just bad things that have shaped us. Sometimes good things have shaped us. I got to watch my mother sacrifice her life to raise two children. That shaped me. It made me less selfish, more giving. 
you guys have situations in your life where it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't that your father told you that you never amount, and that's why you got shaped. Some of you are shaped in a particular way because of what you watched, what you saw. It was a beautiful thing that formed you. Here at Pillar Church, our desire is that you allow yourself to be fully known so that you can be formed. We want to form you by the word of God and by the spirit of God. We want you to think God's thoughts after him. Philippians 1.27 tells us that we, that we are to be living a life worthy of the gospel. We want to lead you closer to Jesus and each other. And to accomplish that means that we need to partake of something called biblical formation. We need to be spiritually formed by God's word and God's character. That's what we need. Because a lot of us have been told counterfeit truths about us. And we allow those counterfeit truths to dictate what we do and how we are today. Don't show your hands. But I, I dare to say that all of you have been told a lie about yourself at some particular formative age of your life that you believe right now. And you haven't taken the time to even consider what those lies may have been. And then what we do is we look at the scripture and we look at that through the lens of the lie. And then we question what God has said. But if God is true and God is right and God is light, then we need to reverse the lenses. We need to be looking at what people have said about us through the lens of what God has said about us. It's similar to like when you go to the bank. If you ever went to the bank and gave them a big bill, what do they do? They hold it to the light, right? To see if it's a counterfeit. And the desire is that you, me, we have to hold our life to the light of God's word to see what counterfeit truths have been deposited into our account. You know what I'm saying? But life's so fast, we don't do it. And so what we need... It's spiritual formation in such a way that if we avoid looking at our lives through, a, through the biblical lens, we have brothers and sisters who will call us to looking through that biblical lens. Whether we can, you know when you're too close to something, you really can't make heads or tails of it, but when somebody's outside, they can give you some good, smooth, biblical truth that applies and it's so simple, it's so easy. It's just right there. And you'll be like, man, how did I miss that? How did I not see that? That's what we want for you at Pillar Church. That's what your elders want for you. That's what your, the, our fellow members want for one another. To view ourselves through the truth of God's word, through the light of God's word, that we can see all the counterfeit strands within us. And we can cast those out. This is just called spiritual formation. And in today's text, we're going to see an example of spiritual formation, biblical formation. So open in your copy of God's word to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17 in total. We're going to start with just verses 10 and 11. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to his his son in the faith. He says, but you, you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, 
along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. We'll stop there. Many of you may have thought that when I said we're going to talk about spiritual formation or biblical formation, I was going to say, you know, read your Bible and pray every day, you know, and you will grow, grow. Y'all know that song? It's a great song. I sing it all the time with my kids. And it's true. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow. That's awesome. That's good. That's great. That's not all. There's more to this thing. You should definitely read your Bible and pray every day. But if you want to be spiritually formed, biblically formed, you need more than that. You need godly emulation. You need gospel friendships. You need godly examples around you. Paul, in these verses, are, is highlighting the good example that he was to his young mentee, Timothy. Did you see what he said? He said, he said Timothy, remember what? He said, remember my conduct. Right? He said, remember my aim of life. He said, remember my faith. He said, remember my patience, love, my steadfastness. Remember the persecutions. He's saying, Timothy, you watch me walk this thing out. Remember what you saw with your own eyes. I'm going to give you all an example to make this, make this more, more alive. Give me a second. Pastor Eric, can you come up here real quick? Now, y'all know I don't normally do this. I need one more person. Evie, come on. Come on. So, so bear with me. I don't normally do props, but we're doing props today. So what this is, Eric, I want you to put your hands behind your back. Use only your mouth, and I want you to tell Evie how to juggle. All right. Put two balls in your right hand. One in, put the two, <laughs> two balls in your right hand. Other hand. All right. You're going to throw the ball in your right hand up first, and then the left one, and keep alternating back and forth. Ready? Go. All right, stop. Eric, take the balls. Juggle. All right, stop, stop, stop. Give Evie the balls. Juggle. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. right. Y'all can take those balls up there. Can we give them a round of applause? Y'all are wondering, what's that? Did Evie do better the second time or the first time? Second to kind of, right? picked the wrong person. Some things are better caught than taught. Y'all see that? Some things are better caught than taught. Some things you learn by watching. You see with your eyes. You watch the person do what they're doing, and then you're better able to grasp and understand what it is that you need to be doing, how it is you need to be doing it. The simple instruction wasn't enough for her to fully do what she was supposed to do. Yes, she had a semblance of it. She had a part of it, but there was something to be said about watching somebody do it first. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Hear me clearly. I'm not saying that the word of God is not sufficient in and of itself. It surely is. But the word of God is not meant to be solely used in the life of a person where they read and they do. If you remember, even the apostles had something to emulate. They had the word incarnate. They had the word. This is funny. The prophets bring the word, the people obey till they can't, and then they fall. But when Jesus comes, he gives, an, he gives a, a physical manifestation of what it looks like to live godly. So the apostles can write to live godly, but they can say, you remember how Jesus prayed? That's how we pray now. He said pray, they, they say pray without ceasing, but they saw it. They could pray without ceasing, without seeing, but when they saw Jesus do it, it gave a fuller, richer experience to the reality. And you guys ever read a book on how to be a better parent? A book on how to be a better physician, engineer, teacher, salesman. What's your occupation? You read the book on how to do it better, right? Y'all still went to training though, huh? Why? Because some things are better caught than taught. But you know what we do? We talk about our faith and walking it out in community and being more Jesus-like Christians. And so what we do is we write a book, but we don't have anyone to emulate. The apostles had Jesus to emulate. The early church had the apostles to emulate. And since then, the biblical reality of life-on-life discipleship has proven to build biblically formed, fully devoted Christians from the time of Jesus until now. And so the first thing that we need to recognize, being believers in, in, in our Lord Jesus, is that we need godly relationships, godly people to emulate. And so my question is, who are you discipling and or who's discipling you? Because if you're, and let, let's take a, a stigma off of discipleship. Discipleship doesn't mean that the person that you're rolling with has to be older and more mature. That's a, that's a piece of discipleship. That's a form of discipleship. A lot of times discipleship happens in community when people have the word of truth and they're calling one another and leveraging the word and the relationships to call one another closer to Jesus. You're shaping one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, Right? We need other believers around us to lead us closer to Jesus. We need believers to love us and to laugh with us and to cry with us. We need other people to walk this faith with us. This is why we, we have discipleship groups at the church. This is the exact reason why they exist. They're not there primarily simply only to sharpen you theologically. That's great. We want you to be sharp theologically. You know me. I love that. I want that. I want to see that. We're going to get closer to that. But the reality is you need to be with other believers, reading the word together and growing in your knowledge and faith of Christ and watching your brother or sister pray in, so that you can emulate the godliness within them. And they can call out of you the lie that's been deposited into your account. Because you can't see it by yourself oftentimes. You know, when I learned how to deal with family crisis, when I watched other brothers and sisters in the faith deal with them. I learned how to conduct myself well in bad circumstances when I watched other brothers and sisters conduct themselves in a godly way in bad circumstances. The book wasn't sufficient. 
I learned how to love my neighbor well when I saw other people loving their neighbor well. I learned how to bear one another's burdens when I watched my brothers and sisters bear one, another bur one another's burdens. I learned how to remain steadfast. I learned how to pray. I learned how to read robustly. I learned how to study God's word all by watching other brothers and sisters do it with me and around me. See, we can do these things without seeing others do them, but we do them so much better when we see others do it. It's the same principle we get from 2 Corinthians chapter, two, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. It says that you will experience so that you can help and comfort and lead those who are currently experiencing. You want to be biblically formed, you've got to get discipled by those who have your best interests in mind. So my first thing is to urge you to do this. I want to urge you to live life on life with other Christians who want to lead you closer to Jesus. And if you're not doing that currently, you are missing a major part of what God has put in place for your holiness and sanctification. You are missing a whole element to this thing. I want to call you, don't be scared of your brothers and sisters. All they want to do is lead you close to Jesus. And if you're in, small, if you're in a community of believers, if, they're not, if that's not their aim, then somebody will call that out and you all can talk about it. But you've got to be in community. Watch them at home. Watch them at work. Watch them at play. It's funny, you know, you ever know somebody, you know them in a, in a more professional way or in a more corporate way, in their one way, and then you get in their house and you're like, whoa. They different, right? Watch people. Watch them at home. Watch them at work. People are watching you. They're watching you pray. They're watching you study. People are watching you suffer. I remember we had um, some friends of ours that moved away from here who experienced a, a good long season. I don't even know if it's over, but it was a good long season of suffering. And I got to watch them suffer. And, 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 and hold to their faith with shoestrings, holding on, barely holding on. But they were, they were holding, they were crying, and I got to see that. And it inspired me, and it, it made me pray for them, and it, and it led me in a whole different way that I didn't get. I, I had to see it. I had to watch it. Have you guys ever been by the bedside of someone crossing over to the other side? And you don't know what to say or to say anything at all? You don't know what to do. I have a pastor friend who took me for the first time to a bedside eight years ago, nine years ago. And I watched how this older man comforted this family and this person and how tender he was and how short he was in his speech and how loving he was with his body, his actions. And it schooled me. It trained me. It taught me. 1 Timothy 3, verse 10 through 11, Paul says, says to Timothy, he says, look, you followed my teaching, but you also followed my conduct, my purpose, faith, my patience, my love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Iconium and Lystra, in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. What's beautiful about life-on-life life discipleship is that it'll expunge in genuine faith from the life of the church. 
Because when you're in community and a brother or sister is experiencing either lies from the enemy or their faith seems ingenuine, the saints will put their hands upon them and pray that truth would reign in their hearts. You're not alone. You know what the enemy does? He isolates you so you're alone. No one to pray for you. No one to call out the lies in your life that you're believing. But when, he has a commu- when you have a community around you, that can happen. You can repent regularly. You can enjoy God together. You can boldly evangelize together. You can even endure persecution together. You might be like, okay, where, where did that come from? Enduring a persecution? It's, it's in the text. Look at verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Put it together with the text above it. He says, Timothy, you saw my aim of life. You watched me. You saw me trying to live like Christ. Now, if you emulate, emulate me, know this, that all who desire to emulate me and follow Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And let's not think that that only applies to Timothy and Paul. That applies to us, too. Life on life discipleship will deepen your faith and biblically form you to the point where you look more and more like Christ and less and less like this present world. So much so that we stop taking our cues from the news and we stop taking our, 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 our counseling cues from sitcoms and we get it from God's word. Our culture doesn't dictate anything. Our, the word dictates first. And we see the culture through that lens. You see, when... When we as believers refuse to idolize the things this world tells us to, the, the, the world, the, the culture will bite you. When we as believers refuse to idolize the things that it tells us we're supposed to, the culture will bite you. It'll snap at you like a, like a scared dog. When you dare contradict the wave, you should feel the pressure going the other way. You don't feel no pressure. I question what you're following. It, there's never a cultural snap at you. Are you just lockstep with the culture and, and compromising God's word? Or are you using God's word as a truth, as a, as a form of light to expunge the, in, the imperfections in the culture? Remember, you know, how, you know how we roll. We think culture is dope. We love culture. Create culture. Watch culture. Celebrate culture. But all culture has to be seen through the lens of Christ because all culture carries along with it our sinful proclivities. And so what we have to do is expunge the sinful proclivities and have a beautiful semblance of people from every tribe and nation celebrated as God desires us to and as we will at the end of all things. But until then, we have to be careful not to just accept everything culture says. Let me tell you all something. Oprah don't know all things. Trump don't know all things at all. Anyway. I don't know all things. You don't know all things. Everything is sifted through the word of truth. Everything that's beautiful and be able to celebrate, everything that's sinful, we call to redeem. We call to redeem. If culture's not snapping at you, then I want you to read these words of, of Jesus from John chapter 15. It's in your cross-reference sheet. This is what he said in his culture, in his day. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. What did Paul just say right before that, remember? 
everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What did Jesus say? They hated me first. Then what did he say? Verse 19 of John 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word that I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things on account of, they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. If you look like Jesus, the world will treat you like Jesus. To be biblically formed first means to embrace discipleship in a life-on-life form. Some things are better caught than taught, but that's not all. A biblically formed Christian must have a deep love and reverence and knowledge of God's word. That's why we get back to the, the beginning. Read your Bible and pray every day. Yeah, that part too, though. It's not one or the other. It's heads and tails. It's a full coin in this mug. It's all of it. Look what he says in verse 14 through 15 in 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. Here's what Paul highlights that thing, that word, that doctrine, that teaching. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. Stop there. It's easier to believe the individuals who have integrity and have led you closer to Christ, right? And so Paul is saying, you watched me, you saw me, and then I schooled you intellectually. I schooled you doctrinally. I gave you truth to hold on to when I'm gone and you can no longer emulate me. He says, remember what you learned, what you saw, what you heard, what we wrote down together. And then he says, remember those who taught you, because it wasn't Paul, um, it wasn't Paul alone that taught Timothy. Verse 15 says, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures that are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures bring you home to Christ by grace through faith and believing in Jesus alone. That's what it does. And then the discipleship grows you in your faith so that the enemy can't choke you out or scorch you. These sacred writings are able to bring you all the way home. The Bible tells us that, that our God is holy and he's perfect and that he created us for his glory and he desires to live all eternity with us. That's what God wanted from, for, for us, to live all eternity with us and that we would exist for his glory. But we sinned against God and God deals with sin and sinners by separating himself from them. The relationship with God was broken once we sinned and we rebelled against God. Sometimes, and think, I want you to think about this. God created and his, rebe- his, his creation rebelled against him. Much of his creation denies his existence or calls him by some false name. If you've ever, most of you are, are kids, all of you have been a kid here at some point, right? Some of y'all have been parents. 
Have you ever said to your mom, like, those, like I hate you? Or a mom, have you ever received that from your child? Or it's like, I don't, I don't, you're not my mom anymore, right? You, you, we say those words. And if you're a parent and you heard those words, those are devastating. Even if the child doesn't even know what they're saying, it cuts, it hurts. I've heard it, I've seen it, I probably said it to my mother. That's pain, bro. We make God so other that when, when his creation denies existence, it's like it doesn't hurt him. It doesn't pain him to watch the very thing he's made, he's created, he's cultivated, rejecting his existence outright. Giving him credit for nothing. You ever teach your kids something, then they said they learned it from somebody else, and you'd be mad? I was a youth pastor for five years. Parents would teach their kids stuff. I would come say the exact same thing. They'd go home, like, look what Pastor Cannon told me. And they'd be looking at me like, bruh, I've been saying that for eight years. I'm like, I know. That's just how it rolled, though. I don't know why. I don't understand it. That's how it rolled. And I, I, and I empathize now, because now my kids are like, well, who taught you that? And they're like, oh, this person taught me. And I'm looking at them like, really? The problem is that's you who's denied God. That's you who's spit upon his grace. That's you who's rejected him. And yet God's love is so robust that he decided to send his son Jesus Christ to redeem those who actively worked against him at one point. His love for us is so deep, it's so robust, that he sent his son to suffer, die on a cross, and was raised on the third day so that those who would have faith in his son would no longer feel the embers of his wrath. That's love. That's what we learn from the word, and we learn that we have grace from God's wrath by mercy, grace. I'm sorry, we can accept God's wrath through mercy, grace, and faith. Jesus absorbed God's wrath for us. I, I said those words. Let me explain those words. Mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. If you're a dude that likes words, write this word, propitiation. Propitiation. That means the satisfaction of God's wrath. That's what Jesus did. God didn't give us what we deserve because Jesus propitiated or he satisfied God's wrath for those who believe. Okay, and then grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You want another word. That's the word imputation. That's when something is given unto you. It's given to you. Yours is expunged. Something is given unto you. And what did Jesus give us? The perfection of his life and his death and his resurrection and faith. Simple, simple, simple synonym for faith. Y'all hear me say it all the time. Trust. Trust. Because in today's day and age, the word believe and faith has been hijacked by culture. We need to redeem it. So as we redeem it, we can use synonyms like trust. Trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross to make you right with God again. And I'm calling us to trust in that finished work. Not because I think it's true, but because the word of God has said so. It's called you to trust. And the word of God is true. And if somebody has deposited the lie that the word of God is not true into your account, I call you to expunge that, that lie. The word of God is true. Jesus Christ's sacrifice is for those who believe. And Jesus is calling you to repent, which means turn from your sin and turn unto him. Let's make it real simple. Just ask God to forgive you and save you. Lord, forgive me for my sin and save me from it. Paul says, remember them truths you learned as a child, because Paul learned from his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And what does he say about this word? I got I to gotta keep moving. What did he say about this word? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. This is what it says about that word. 
Paul says that all the scriptures is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What is Paul telling Timothy? He's telling that the word of God is God-breathed. That means that it's inspired by God. It finds its origin in God. God spoke through people. That's what he did. Like wind in a sail, God spoke through people. He superintended its composition using the culture and the language and the mind of the people that he was speaking through. And it contains no errors in its original manuscripts. And it's all the things that it speaks to are right and true. Guys, get to know God's word. Ask God to give you a theological sweet tooth. You want it. Ask him to make you crave it. I got to know. I want to know. I want to see. God, what does that mean? How do I understand this? How does this fit with this? You calling the homie. Yo, what's this word? Is it Greek? Can we learn some Greek? Where's some Greek? Y'all know we got people that know Greek up in here? Get in community. You might have them in your group. You don't even know it. And then you can be studying and understanding. What does this word mean? You can read it. You can meditate on it. You can memorize it. You can dissect it. Because as you dissect God's word, you know what it's doing? It's dissecting you. And it's pulling all them lies out. It's profitable for teaching, which means it contains truth that is deeper, like deeper than the Mariana Trench. It has guidance for your life and your soul, and it will rock you, and it will plumb the depths of, of your soul. You can plumb its depths for all eternity and never come to the end of God's word. Ask God to teach you toward faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable is his ways. Ask him to teach you toward faith. And then it says it's good for reproof and correction. What does that mean? The word of God will expose you. As you're dissecting it, you're seeing yourself in the text. As a, as a church, we were reading through Jeremiah. And as you read through Jeremiah, it's odd how we start seeing ourselves in the people who are disobedient to Jeremiah's words. All of a sudden, we read it and we're like, wow, that's me. Ask God as you read it to convict you toward faith in Jesus. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can pierce to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. Not only that, it can train us in righteousness. It will transform your mind, which will ultimately dictate your actions. The word of God will transform your mind, which will ultimately dictate your actions. Ask God to allow the word to train you to look more and more like Jesus. That's what Romans 12.2 is. These are all in your cross-reference sheet to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3 of our text, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you read that verse in context, it's not just talking about the word, it's talking about the lifestyle discipleship with Paul and Timothy and the word will fully equip you, fully equip you for every good work. Guys, it's time to sift the counterfeit truths in your lives and those things that your parents told you, those things that the people around you have told you. It's time to first look at the word, look at all things that you believe through the lens of the text and allow it uh, yourselves to see the counterfeits and then get in community so that those that you have missed, those that you weren't able to see, those times when you need to lean on somebody else's faith because yours is all jacked up. You have a group of believers who put their hands on you and love you and listen to you. They might not even know what to tell you, but they can pray for you. 
They will listen to you. There's power in just closing your mouth and listening. But if you have no community, you don't have that. And if you don't have that, you're missing a major component of the faith. God created us for community. He created us to be spiritually formed in this way, to dive headlong into discipleship and dive headlong into the word of truth. Because discipleship cannot exist apart from the word and one another. So Pillar Church, let's get biblically formed.